Hey, this is Jen. Before we get started with today's show, I have a quick ask of you. If the show has helped you in any way, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review the show. Let us know what you think. Let us know what's helped you. Let us know what you want more of, what you want less of. But just take a couple minutes to do that. It would mean a ton to me and it'll help us get better and better in the future. I really do want to hear from you. Connection is an innate human need. Like food and water, we need it to survive. But despite its crucial role, it's often overlooked in society, especially in the workplace. Meaningful relationships at work are one of the greatest drivers of workplace engagement and satisfaction. As the saying goes, people don't leave companies, they leave managers. How can we create work cultures that encourage and support greater connection? This is the WorkWell podcast series. Hi, I'm Jen Fisher, Chief Wellbeing Officer for Deloitte, and I'm so pleased to be here with you today to talk about all things well-being. I'm here with Erica Keswin, a speaker, author, workplace strategist, and founder of The Spaghetti Project, a platform dedicated to sharing the science and stories of human connections. Erica, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. So tell us about Erica. I want to hear about your journey, and I want to know what led you to become so focused on the area of relationships at work. So I would say I've always been a connector. You know, if you talk to people who knew me in nursery school and middle school and college and business school, and and if you were to say to them, what is one word? that you would use to describe me, they would likely say connector. You know, I've set up a couple of marriages, which in the Jewish religion means I'm going right to heaven. And I used to work in executive (laughs) recruiting, uh, connecting great people to great jobs. So I think I was somewhat born with it, you know, in my blood. But there are two instances that were really, that really highlight how I got into the business of relationship at work. The first is in 1998, I was working in executive recruiting and I got my first device, which which was a BlackBerry, which kind of dates me, but <laughs> so, so be it. And That's such a great was, keyboard though. <laughs> yeah, I, I miss it. I miss it. <laughs> miss it to this day for sure. So I was engaged at the time to my now husband and he had to go to a conference in Bermuda and he said to me, can you go? And I didn't have any vacation days. I was saving them for our wedding, but I had this handy dandy new device. And I said, you know what? I might be able to go. So we went to Bermuda and I worked during the day and saw him at night and, and got to know his clients. And I remember saying to myself out loud with my new device, this is the life. Like there's nothing better than this. Fast forward 10 years, I still had my BlackBerry, but I had gotten an iPhone and a couple of kids later, um, I began to see the impact, I would say the good, the bad, and the ugly of the technology on Mm -hmm. my relationships, both at home and at work. And in contrast to that moment in Bermuda, I literally said to myself out loud, as I was one day running around with these two phones and the little red light and the Blackberry, you know, beeping away. And I said to myself, I can't believe this is my life. And it was really that moment in those two bookended experience that where I said to myself, you know what, if I'm struggling with integrating this into my life and I'm such a relationship person, 
I mean, I can't imagine what everybody else is going through. And, and that was where I began to turn my attention to the impact of technology and relationships at work and how through my consulting background and human capital work, I could begin to help people and companies stay connected, you know, even in this age of technology. So, um, yeah, so let's, so, so let's talk about that. I mean, what, what has the impact, the good, the bad, and the ugly? I mean, what, in your mind, what has the impact been and what have you seen when it comes to, you know, our relationships at work and technology and our relationship with technology itself, I suppose, plays into that. A hundred percent. So if we were having, it's so interesting having this conversation now in the midst of this pandemic. <laughs> right. <laughs> if we having, we'll take a step back. And if we were having this tech, this conversation a year ago, and you would ask me that question, I would have said, I go into so many companies and meet with leaders. And one of the things that I see everywhere is people texting each other in from one cubicle to the next people calling into meetings from down the hall and people being in the same physical space but mentally or psychologically not not being present and, and this was people of, of all ages this wasn't a gen z or or a millennial thing and and that was one of the the, the biggest challenges that that i saw and, mm-hmm. and I would work with people to try to get people to be more connected and to come up with rules of the road and protocols to help people not want to call into a meeting from down the hall and actually get up and walk down the hall. You know, fast forward to where we are today, and maybe this is, you know, we've been hearing this phrase over and over, you know, silver lining of this pandemic is that I do hope that coming out of it, there is more of an appreciation of the benefits of connection and and better understanding how to find the sweet spot you know you leveraging technology to find the sweet spot between tech and connect and what i mean by that is let's leverage it for all of our greatness i mean right now we're using lots of different technology you're in florida i'm in new york to connect but also make sure that we put that that, that technology quote unquote in its place so that we connect with others and ourselves on a, on a deeper level. Yeah. And I talk about it as, you know, making our technology work for us versus working for our technology, which it mm-hmm. often feel, feels like we, we are doing. And, and you, you talk about, you know, bringing your human to work. As a matter of fact, you wrote a book <laughs> called bringing your human to work. So what, what does that mean? And, and what does it look like, especially, you know, in, I mean, we can talk pre pandemic, we can talk during pandemic, and maybe you have some some predictions for us for post-pandemic. <laughs> so the book I wrote, the, the subtitle of the book is 10 Surefire Ways to Design a Workplace that's, that's Good for People, Great for Business, and Just Might Change mm-hmm. the World. And the premise is that if we can create a more human workplace, a place where people feel that they can bring their whole selves, it's not only good for them as people, but this is, you know, we're in business. So this is a, a bottom line issue. And each chapter talks about different ways that companies can do this from, you know, your world focusing on well-being to thinking about making meetings more human, which kind of sounds like an oxymoron at the moment, 
Um, how do we give back? Thinking about space, which I think as we go back to work is going to be a really interesting thing to, to mm-hmm. think about. Um, and then there's a part on what I call taking professional development personally, that a human workplace is one that, that helps people develop, which for many young people, especially, it's even more important than, than, than compensation. And then finally, there's a focus on gratitude and making sure within the workplace that, that you can say thank you. And many people will say to me, well, gosh, do I have to do all of them? Are they in any particular order? And my response is, no, you, you don't have to do them all. And they're not in any particular order except for chapter one, which is first for a reason. And the the first chapter of the book is about being human and speaking in a speaking, being real and speaking in a human voice. And I highlight that one because it's it's focused on on knowing your values and getting your values off the I, I talk about getting them off the walls and into the halls. You know, I talk to companies and 99% of people at companies will raise their hand and say, yes, we have values. And only, you know, then half the, the hands in the audience drop when I say, well, do the values mean anything? You know, do you, do you really or know? Or do you even are? know what they are? Know what they stand for. And so the companies that do the best job of, of, of really creating a place where people feel psychologically safe and they belong and, and it's healthy. And again, all the things you talk about bring those values to life. And, and that to me is the most important place to start. So psychological safety, let's talk about that because you hear it a lot. Um, and I'd love to kind of demystify what does that mean what what does it look like how do you take it beyond just a buzzword uh because i feel like it is becoming a little bit of a buzzword in the in the workplace i i agree you know psychological safety is where you feel like you can be you if you were to really boil it down that you can talk about what's on your mind that you can you know, share ideas, you know, and, and one of the reasons why we're also hearing about this so much right now is in the context of diversity, inclusion, and, and belonging, which is that if mm-hmm. you, you, know, you can, you know, leaders can do an amazing job getting the most diverse group of people in a room for a meeting, but if we only hear from three people, you know, we're, we're not going to get the benefit of the diversity in that room. And, and as we know, you know, the data shows that diverse teams, you know, have higher revenues and more engagement and all the important things that we need for for strong business. And so what I try to do in my work is help leaders create cultures where people do have that level of, of comfort and a, a tool, you know, that I talk about a lot, which will be in my new book is, is how do we use rituals mm-hmm. as a way to get everybody in the room talking and and engaged. So it's it's a starting point, um, but it's something that, you know, manager, it's one of the most important things that managers need to learn, which is, you know, as a leader, a big part of your job is to is to make people feel comfortable and to create a culture that encourages people to participate. Hmm. So I want to talk a little bit about relationships and human connection in the workplace and why it's so important because I, you know, there, there is a lot out there and there are different points of view um, that, 
you know, that, that say you shouldn't have a best friend at work um, because then you are, you know, too emotionally connected or emotionally tied to outcomes or emotionally tied to what happens to this person or that person. Um, and so it's, it's better, you know, not to have, you know, friends at work or human connections at work. Why, why do you, and I disagree with this too, but why do you disagree with this? <laughs> I disagree that I, you are correct. I do disagree with this. Look, there's a level of appropriateness too. I mean, sometimes. hundred percent. Yes. <laughs> what do you mean? Can you really bring your whole self? And then I started saying, well, it's really your most, your best self or your most yeah. appropriate self given that you are at work. But two reasons why relationships at work are important are number one, and this is pre and even in the middle of COVID, we, we spend, many of us spend more hours working than we do not working. And so be pretty darn lonely if you're spending most of your waking hours at work and not having real, real connections. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, as, as I know you've, see in your work, we're in the midst of a massive loneliness epidemic, you know, really spurred on by, by the technology that relationships at work, you know, we, we, we need those. But the, but the other piece of this, and, and it's the pushback from the people to say, oh, this is all, you know, touchy feely stuff yeah. is that it does impact business. And one of the clearest examples that I can share, and you can take this and extrapolate it really to any kind of business comes from a study out of Cornell where a professor named Kevin Niffen was studying what makes one, you know, team performance, what makes team A better than team B, better than team C. And his dad was a firefighter. And when he was getting his PhD, he decided, you know, I'm going to study the firefighters to do my, my analysis. And what he found was that the firefighters that were the most dedicated to the ritual, the firehouse meal of sitting around a table and connecting as people and building trust, those firefighters actually saved more lives. So there was a direct impact on, on their performance. And I, I said to one of the firefighters, I said, can you just explain that? Like, that sounds great, but, but <laughs> tell, me, tell me what that means. And I, and I love this example. So he said, true story, he was sitting around the table having lunch. You know, if you work in the morning to the, you know, the nine to six shift, you have lunch with your fellow firefighters. And he said, one day I was, and this guy's name is Bob. He comes from a family of firefighters. And he was talking to his colleague, Dominic. And Dominic said to him, just shooting the breeze over lunch, hey, Bob, you would never know this about me. But as a kid, even now, sometimes I was, I'm afraid of heights. And Bob's like, mm. gee, afraid of heights. Like that's, and I'm thinking to myself, he's telling me the story. That's the last thing I would think for a firefighter. So they were talking about it and how he got over it. And he just was, again, sort of bringing his whole self and just chit-chatting. Four hours later, the fire alarm goes off and Bob, you know, having this information in the back of his mind, he actually used it to make certain kinds of decisions around the best way to fight this fire and to swap Dominic out with somebody else, you know, doing a certain role. And so I think it's such an interesting example of 
you know, if, if we're not getting to know our colleagues and, and, you know, building a sense of empathy, figuring out ways to really know what's going on with them during COVID and not feeling that they're going to be at risk by sharing their childcare issues or taking mm-hmm. care of a sick parent, if we don't have the relationship where they're going to be honest about it, we as leaders can't figure out ways to help them. And that's not good for them. And it's not good for our business. So are there... Um... I mean, are there are there different types of relationships? Like, are some relationships really just meant to be kind of transactional, and I get things done because that's how we get things done, and others are meant to kind of be deeper connections where you where you you know learn more about the person, and you know that that leads to kind of more productive and effective and efficient work all around. Um, and happier and <laughs> more well employees, um, but or are there are there certain connections or relationships at work that you know kind of aren't you know that aren't kind of designed for that or aren't meant for that or are you advocating for it across the board? You know, I, I would say you start with you know all of the people that you're actually working with on a day to day basis. So who's on your team? Who are you working with on a project? You know, you might meet people through an employee resource group. There might be people who you become closer with in terms of a friendship. You know, a lot of young people, that's where they make friends. I mean, I was listening to a podcast the other day, you know, that a lot of young people, like, this is where they meet potential significant others. So there's a whole other, it's it's where we socialize. Um, right. But from a work perspective, you know, I believe that we need to, build the kind of rapport that that enable people to bring their whole self. It's, it's really, I think about it first within these concentric circles of who's in my direct team, who's in my department, who am I working on special projects with, who are my clients? I mean, I can, if somebody's a client of mine, I can certainly serve them much better if I'm in a position where they're, where they're really telling me what, what their needs are. And mm-hmm. so I, I think, try to think about it from that perspective. Hmm. So what is it that, I mean, what's been, what's been lost? Like why has the workplace lost some of its humanity over the years and, and how do we get that back? I believe, you know, kind of what I, what I was saying earlier that, that as, you know, with my own personal struggle with the two devices and how, Mm -hmm. you know, people were, you know, I call them all tray takers, right? All these companies, give, you know, had lunch in a cafeteria. And when I was writing Bring Your Human to Work, you know, I went to some of the well-known names in Silicon Valley where you hear about, oh, every 50 feet there's food and people are connecting <laughs> all over the place. And and I remember standing in one of the, the micro kitchens and that I'd read so much about. And I said hi to someone and the person said to me, oh, are you new here? And I'm thinking, oh, I Maybe, you know, maybe this isn't what happens, um, you know, in terms of people connecting. And I think we just get used to some of the perks that are offered and the technology just started to pull us away. And many, many times people would just take their food and their tray and bring it back to their office. And we were just sort of stuck in in those patterns. It was one organization just made me think of it. in New York that I that I met with and they decided to bring 
two groups of, of people together. They thought from a business perspective, it was front office and back office. Let's bring everybody together to connect you know, over meals. So the first month, once a month, first month it went pretty well. Second month, not as many people came. And by the third month, people were coming and taking the food to go and back to their desk. So then they decided to get rid of the the to-go boxes, you know, because the idea was to actually have that interaction. Mm -hmm. And so what it comes down to for me, it's actually um, the name of my podcast that I launched during COVID, which is called Left to Our Own Devices. And left to our own devices, we are not connecting. And, you know, even someone like me and, you know, you can tell me, you know, what it's like for you, but, you know, we're both connectors and we both believe this stuff, but the whole day can go by. And unless, at least for me, unless I'm intentional about how I connect and where I connect, the whole day could go by and I might not have moved. And so what I do is to work with leaders about creating opportunities and rituals and different ways to help get people off of their technology to connect on a more personal level and a deeper level. So are you saying we can't use our technology to connect on a deeper level at all? No, I no. I lo- I'm a huge fan and I love technology, but it's finding that I talk about finding the sweet spot between tech mm-hmm. and connect. So let's leverage it for all of its greatness and let's also make sure that we put it in its place. And I and you know COVID has been the big test because for right. those months all we had was technology. And so what I what I found personally was that not every Zoom call was created equal. You know <laughs> there were some that felt meaningful and there were some that you know, we're mind numbing. <laughs> and so one of the things I, I think about a lot is let's think about all of the different types of technology that we have at our fingertips and to be strategic. Maybe there are certain things that we can do with our teams and put them on a messaging system, on a, in an int- internal messaging board to post fun pictures of you know, of your pets and your kids and bringing your human that way. Then there are Zoom calls with your team where unless there's an emergency, the once a week meeting, your camera needs to be on because we need to remember there's a person behind the screen. And then maybe there are days where it's optional. Maybe there are days where we all decide to talk on the phone and get our steps in. And, you know, I never thought I would be saying this as such a face-to-face person, but but over the last six months, I've had some of the more productive mm-hmm. and intimate conversations on the phone um, where I wasn't on Zoom and looking at people. And so we need to leverage technology. And I, I talk about matching the message to the medium and really not making the cameras mandatory for everything. But but when they are, you know, making sure that that, that everybody participates and there is that group cohesion. Yeah. So, um, and and I think that kind of leads in, or quite frankly, might answer in large part um, where I was going with my with my next question. But I mean, are there best practices for creating stronger social connections at work? Um, and and perhaps what we just talked about. I mean, you're talking about the here and now. Um, but what are what are some best practices for you know? for those that might be back in person or when we go back in person, but also 
um, for, for leveraging our technology? I would say the first thing you need to do in person or remote, many of the best practices I find are the same. They're almost just more important when you're remote because there's more of an opportunity for, for misunderstanding. So I would say the first thing is to to try to be real and to, and to speak in a human voice. And the leaders that have come out of this, the strongest in my opinion, are, you know, they're communicating, 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 and they are as transparent as they can possibly be. And the North Star for leaders right now is is to be is to even be vulnerable. I mean, the stories that I've heard about the impact that some of the leaders have had when they've been at a town hall or even sending out an email, again, thinking about the use of these different mediums, um, where they've reached out and, and told employees what was going on in their life. And to your point, you know, the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know what? Even though I'm the CEO, even though I'm the manager, this stinks right now. And here's what's going on in my life. So in terms of building relationships, especially, and this is pre-COVID, but, but right now is the more real you can be, the more likely you're going to have where your employees become more open themselves. The second thing is to continue to check in with employees. You know, this pandemic is happening to all of us, but it's happening to all of us in very different ways. And people will will continually ask me, you know, it's been six weeks, it's been two months, it's been six months now, do I need to keep checking in? And my short answer is yes, but it doesn't need to take 20 minutes of a 45-minute meeting for everyone to say how they're doing, or again, we're not going to get work done. And this is in-person or remote. So there are ways, you know, something like going around the room and everybody can give an adjective of how they are in that moment. And if you as the leader are hearing what's going on with certain people, it gives you the opportunity to, to connect with them afterwards to see how you can be supportive. You know, a CEO yesterday shared with me, and this is with the senior management team of a, of a bank um, here in New York, said that with his senior management team, each person, each senior executive will say, you know, red, yellow, or green. You know, green, I am present. I am here. I am good to go. You know, yellow, I have some stuff going on. And red, I am physically here, but mentally, I am somewhere else. And mm-hmm. so it gives... It's, it, you know, they're curating connection in a way that enables colleagues to follow up. And, but also, again, we're talking about business. And so it's, it's a, it really touches on, on both sides to make sure that the people in the room feel connected and purposeful. But, you know, we, we are getting a sense from a human perspective of what's going on in their lives. So, you, you talked about your own podcast called Left to Your Own, Our Own Devices, right? So, so what happens if we're left to our own devices, and why do you call it that? <laughs> you know, for me, left to our own devices, we're not connecting. And what I found, you know, I, I thought when we all went into quarantine that I would you know, have so many hours in the day and. You know, to connect with this person and that person, all of a sudden it'd be five o'clock and I don't know where the time went. So what I found was that, you know, even in, even in COVID, um, if I was not 
intentional about mm-hmm. connecting with others and connecting with myself, which I know is something that's, that you talk about a lot, it's not, it's not going to happen. And so to me, whether it's in, uh, it's about honoring relationships with others and with yourself. And for my, for me, if I'm not intentional and planful about when and how I do it, it often falls by the wayside. You know, I'm getting a thousand emails. I have this going on, that going on. Or I can say, you know what? It's 11 o'clock and every day at 11, I stop and I get fresh air and I take a walk and I call someone that I'm thinking about. And and that kind of leads into rituals <laughs> and the importance of rituals and creating those rituals for ourselves and in our personal life, but also in our work life. So can you talk a little bit? And And clearly there's some overlap, especially now, but really I would think anytime. Yeah. So what, what I realized after I wrote Bring Your Human to Work and continued to speak with leaders and companies, really people at all levels, was that you know rituals are one of the most important tools in, in creating a more human workplace. So even that example of the CEO that got everybody to go around and say, you know, red, yellow, or green, to him, that is that is one of his rituals. And so I began to hear more and more stories of, you know, whether it was in meetings, whether it was when when people were um, measure, you know, getting performance reviews or awards at the end of the year, all of these things were built into the fabric of the companies linked to their values and, and they were rituals. And I decided to look at rituals from the perspective of the employee life cycle. So if you're a leader you know, in any company, big or small, you know, where are there opportunities for rituals? So I started with, well, when you onboard people, you know, when you bring them on, what are your rituals to make them feel connected? And to our conversation earlier about psychologically safe and belonging and, you know, when your first day of work is a pretty important day to feel, to feel good. Um, You only get one chance to make a first impression. So I look at onboarding, meetings, um, I have a chapter on, it's called, it's, it's funny, it's one chapter is meetings and the next chapter is eatings, you know, after the <laughs> firefighters. There's another chapter on on taking a break, which mm. you know, back in the day, you know, people took smoking breaks. And yes, that's terrible for your health, but it really was a time of major bonding when and, yeah. and friendship building out on the street, puffing, puffing away. So I'm not advocating for that, especially on a wellness podcast. Um, however, those were, those were times where people really built those relationships. So I call the chapter, the no smoking break, the no smoke break and try <laughs> to get it rituals in, in companies, um, you know, that, that have, you know, bring people together to, to, to take breaks. And what I found is that rituals are an amazing way to build that sense of belonging and their opportunities to connect people back to the purpose. You know, why do we come here every day? Why do we do what we do? And so it's been a really, really cool journey in talking to companies big and small about about the impact of their rituals. So tell me what your favorite rituals are. Oh, so many to choose from. So <laughs> one of my favorite ones. Now, one of the things about rituals is that you know, they're both top down and they're bottom up. And yeah. some of the best ones 
you know, they're started by somebody who might not even be at the company anymore. Like they just are sticky. And so you, know, you can't always over-design rituals. And I tell people, look, if you want, if you try something that doesn't work, just move on. Because the last thing you want to do is sort of force feed, you know, this is what we do here. And then you get all the eye rolls. So one of my favorite rituals is the company Allbirds, you know, who makes the, the really cool shoes. And they, the story that they shared was that they had one of their employees, I think the number three employee, been there from the beginning, went to the doctor one day, you know, probably because he's working 24-7 on a startup, and he decided <laughs> to set some real fitness goals for himself. And he said, okay, I'm going to do X amount of push-ups between now and the end of the year. And he divided that number by how many days were left in the year, and he had to accomplish his goal. He needed to do 40 push-ups a day. So he started doing them at work and then the next person joined, then the next person joined. Next thing I know, you know, next thing they know, the whole company is joining him for these push-ups. So it it evolved very naturally into this ritual called 40 at 4, where the whole company would stop and do these push-ups or just stop and and chit-chat with each other, you know, kind of like the smoke break, but the healthy break. So it morphed into you know, the push-ups, but then people would volunteer to lead the 40 at four. And so this this is timely given, um, you know, RGB's um, death, but there was somebody who dressed up as RBG and wore the, you know, the gown and her glasses and was leading, you know, push-ups, I am woman, hear me roar, you know, kind of thing. And, you know, people would, would do all kinds of wacky things. And so during COVID, I reached out to them and I said, you know, how... Are people missing this opportunity to connect with each other? I mean, this is like a big thing every day at four. And what they were doing was that people really were craving that connection and that sense of psychological safety and normalcy. And, and I talk about the importance of, especially during turbulent times, to maintain some of your rituals if you can, mm -hmm. personally. And, mm -hmm. So people would volunteer and would film these videos at home doing their push-ups and I, they sent me some of them they were hilarious and you know personalities would come out and so that that's one of my favorite ones yeah that's awesome and so i, I mean i you know i guess rituals can be big things small things fun things serious things there's no real formula yeah. for what they are well, how do you know if something's a ritual at work? People would start to go crazy if it if it went away. So mm. they would wonder, you know, was the company being sold? Um, <laughs> you know, if if forty at four didn't happen, everybody would be like, "Huh, that's 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 sort of weird," because it just it just stuck. You know, other rituals. You know, I meetings are, are an important time for rituals or an opportunity for rituals. So at Eileen Fisher, the clothing store, they um, ring a chime before every meeting to get people to settle and take a deep mm -hmm. breath. Mm -hmm. There's a few companies in the automotive industry where one of their values is safety. And before every meeting, somebody shares a, sa a safety story, you know, from one of the plants or, or something. So it, it can really be anything. And that's why I looked at it from the employee life, you know, the employee life cycle perspective to say, where are the opportunity, where are their opportunities? And the first step for, for people is to even look at what they're, what they're currently doing, because you may have rituals and not even realize it. 
And do rituals have to, like in the workplace, do they have to involve other people or they can, can they be personal, like individual rituals, things that you do to kind of start your day or end your day or, um, you know, I, I, I think this is a ritual. You can tell me if it is or not, but you know, if I, if I get an email that, that, you know, that triggers me in some way emotionally, I, you know, I have a, a rule and a ritual that, that I don't respond to it or I try not to respond to it right away until I've, you know, gone on a walk or taken some deep breaths or given myself a chance to kind of pause and think about it. Mm -hmm. So we know it's a ritual when there's intention around it and purposeful and when it's personal. And so, yeah, that would be a ritual because when you're thinking about that email, you know, you're not blindly just deleting it. You're saying, okay, I got it. I just received something that triggered me and with intention, I am not going to respond and I'm going to go out for a walk and I'm going to process it and, and think about it. So yeah, to mm -hmm. me, that would be, that would be a ritual. It would be interesting if one day you just responded to it and something would seem, you know, off about that. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm guilty of doing that too. So <laughs> I don't know. My rituals don't always. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Look, it's a reminder to say, huh, this is why I did put in time. I mean, where we've all pressed send. Right. Wish we could <laughs> rewind the clock. I actually think it's a great ritual, which I should probably try myself. <laughs> so, so you've talked a, a couple of times around, um, you know, and I'm, I'm kind of switching back to, to relationships, but you, you've talked a couple of times about connecting with yourself and the relationship with yourself. How does that, why is that important? And how does that impact our relationship with others? You know, we, well, as a woman, I can also talk from that perspective that I, we, many women with whom I've spoken, we tend to put ourselves last on the list. You know, mm -hmm. we are taking care of the world, whether we, whether it's a pet, whether it's our kids, whether it's our parents, you know, and this is a bit of a, you know, generalization or stereotype, but in my experience, it's pretty true for, for many of the people with whom I have spoken. And so, you know, it's the old adage of putting on the oxygen mask first. Right. That we, and it goes back to being intentional. And it's funny that we're having this conversation today because one of what my son is 15. I have twin girls who are 17 and my son is 15. And when he was six months old, I said to myself, I'm going away for a week by, my, by myself to focus on self-care. My friends thought I had lost my mind. I wrote a 20-page memo for my husband to try to figure out what was going on. And, and I just, I made this commitment to myself and I've done it every year. And there's a lot of years where it's not the right time and there's no way I can go away, but I figure out a way to do it. And I'm better for it. My family is better for it. And I try to walk the walk when it comes to it. And the reason why I said it's weird that we're having this conversation today is that I just got back yesterday. Mm. And I, I thought, I just can't, this year, I can't do it. But given how insane everything has been on so many levels, you know, for all of us, and I, in a way, I had my own stuff during this. I, I, I for, you know, really push myself to do it. And it was not 
and it wasn't easy, but I can feel the shift and the energy to come back and be be a better person. And mm-hmm. so I I think that self-care and rituals and that relationship with yourself is is so important. You know what I on my podcast I ask everybody this one question and it gets to the question you just asked me about focusing on yourself. And the question I ask people is what do you do in your life that makes you feel most like you? Mm. And and people kind of pause and sometimes have trouble and and but I think if we push ourselves to answer that question and know what makes us feel like us, it helps us to, you know, honor that relationship with ourselves. And, you know, in all the work that you do around helping people around wellness, it enables us to come back stronger to, to help others. And again, to, to bring our best selves to work. Yeah, I love that. Um, and, and I actually have a, a question that I ask all of my guests on my podcast too. So, and I'm getting ready to ask you this question. <laughs> What's your definition of well-being? My definition for me, I, I would say it's, it's making sure that I honor that relationship with myself mm-hmm. because and even just this example of what I just said, and you know, in the in what might seem like a crazy time to go away, to focus on myself from an overall well-being perspective, and and I think about my well-being, my family's well-being, my work well-being. I mean, all of it. I've got to. I have to start there, even if it's hard. And and you know, on on, on this trip that you do for yourself, with yourself, by yourself, does your family, since you've been doing it for so long, does your family now kind of push you to do it even when you think the timing isn't right? Yes. They all, they all know. And, and, you know, in the beginning, the kid, oh, the kids are like, you're leaving, you're leaving. But, but because it's part of it, because it's a ritual and they're right. like, you know, I don't even get the pushback. And I don't, I don't know if I necessarily have shared with them, oh, I can't do it. Like they, they hear about it after I say, okay, this is when I'm going this year. But you know, when they're, but even when they were, they were little, it only took a few the years for them to say, okay, she comes back, and <laughs> this is, you know, I don't need to worry about it. But it's just part of, and I, I hope, uh, you know, all three of my kids, but especially my girls can really see the importance of, of taking care of your, of yourself and resting and re-energizing and just even taking time away to think or read a book. You know, I, and I set different goals for myself each, each year, you know, sometimes I'll work and sometimes they won't work. You know, when I'm away, the work doesn't feel like work, you know, and I don't put pressure on myself. I can't be on technology. You know, it's, it's, um, each year I try to get something different out of it. And do they notice a difference when you come back? Or I, obviously you notice a difference because you said, but do they notice a difference in you? Hmm. I should have asked them this morning. Um, <laughs> since I got back last night. Yeah, I, mean, I, I think they do. You know, it, it's tough. You, you get back and you're more patient. You miss everybody. And then in yeah. two seconds, you're kind of back into, oh my gosh, I never, I never left. 
But what I find is in the midst of the, oh my gosh, I never left, there are these moments where you feel, you know, the shift. And mm-hmm. you're like, yep, you know what? And and for me, a lot of times too, because I try to use this time to think and do a lot of, you know, dot connecting and thinking, it's, um, I've really moved many things in my life forward, you know, personally and professionally during that, during that time. Yeah. So, so what, what about, what is a kind of a day to day or a weekly ritual for you and your well being? Cause we, we talked about this once a year thing, but you got, there's gotta be something more you do than that. Oh, for sure. So you know, I, <laughs> I'm a big exerciser. I, I walk or hike every day. I do Pilates, you know, during COVID, I, you know, again, I talked earlier about the importance of maintaining rituals as a way to manage stress and feel connected. And every Tuesday for the last five years, I do Pilates with a, with a close friend. And it's just what we do. We walk the kids to school and then we go to Pilates and all of a sudden we're both home. And with the, um, you know, leveraging what's been so amazing about this technology is all of a sudden the Pilates teacher is online <laughs> And we kept, even though we didn't have to, we kept our same day and the same time. And there was just, A, it kept us doing it and staying fit and healthy. But even more, you know, it was like laughing and hearing her voice and watching her on the screen and seeing her dog come lick her face during the Pilates and my dog. And so, um, you know, I would say a lot of my wellness rituals are about physical fitness, but also for me around connecting with, with friends. Like that's really what, you know, live, I live with my family, but my friends and seeing them and making regular dates to see them is what fuels me. Yeah. I hear you on that one. Well, Erica, thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today. I really appreciate and uh, appreciate the conversation that we just had. So thank you again. Well, thank you for having me. It was great. I'm so grateful Erica could be with us today to talk about human connection in the workplace. Thank you to our producers and our listeners. You can find the WorkWell podcast series on Deloitte.com, or you can visit various podcatchers using the keyword WorkWell, all one word, to hear more. And if you like the show, don't forget to subscribe so you get all of our future episodes. If you have a topic you'd like to hear on the WorkWell podcast series or maybe a story you would like to share, please reach out to me on LinkedIn. My profile is under the name Jen Fisher or on Twitter at JenFish23. We're always open to your recommendations and feedback. And of course, if you like what you hear, please share, post, and like this podcast. Thank you and be well. Be well.